Well, welcome back to Poison for Profit. Uh, this will be our second episode. Hope uh, you all enjoyed the first one. If you're here, I assume you must have enjoyed some part of it. Uh, or if this is your first episode you're listening to, well, welcome. Yep, I'm Nick and uh, my co-host and I'm Zach. is Zach. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yep, we uh, in this show, just in case you are a new listener, we go over some news articles relating to what's going on in our environment um, ranging from anywhere from the EPA's latest uh, I don't even know what to call what they do nowadays but uh, whatever they're up to uh, to what company is being found to be poisoning our environment water soil uh, and our bodies yeah so it re- really is a little bit different each week so we hope you stick with us Yep, this week we got, uh, how many articles do you got, Nick? I've got three this week. So, so we have, uh, yeah, we got about five new topics we're covering this week. Um, so we'll just jump right into it. So getting right into it, uh, starting off with an article on the Clean Water Act. Uh, so this one is a pollution, pollution that EPA refuses to regulate. Uh, so this is from the Hill. Uh, what they're getting into is ballast water. So for those that don't know what that is, uh, ships, those huge cargo ships that people have to or that companies use to transport large amounts of cargo. They take in this ballast water. Uh, it allows their ship to be stable and float through the oceans. Uh, but so this water is when they get to their locations, they typically discharge it. Uh, and so there's a whole slew of issues with this. Um, but the EPA, of course, uh, is not <laughs> really doing a whole lot about it. Uh, one of the major issues people are concerned about are the invasive species that can come with this. So a lot of people have heard of the zebra and quagga mussels. Uh, that's how they originally got to the United States. So this article just came up uh, basically because the Clean Water Act has turned 50 last month. So just thought this would be an interesting article for us to quick talk about uh zach you you know quite a bit about zebra and quagga mussels i'm sure um uh yeah well i I know some about invasive species um i know a little bit more about zebra mussels i would say in the great lakes right um this is it's interesting that uh people are looking at the epa to regulate or kind of pointing out the epa doesn't regulate it um because I, uh, I know DNR has a lot to do with kind of the trying to stop the spread of, of certain invasive species, even, you know, plant species. Um, 
Is there a reason they're kind of pointing to the EPA? Is it because it's I more... believe because it's more of an international issue. Okay. So it's like where a lot of DNRs are state-based. So Right, over state lines, things exactly. like that. Exactly. Yeah. So I think that's where a lot of it's coming from. Uh, a lot of local, like state governments do have uh, their own rules and regulations with this. So when I was in Colorado, uh, since they're a headwater state, they're really concerned about all the boats that are coming into Colorado. So to put to launch your boat into a lake there, you have to clean, drain, and dry it and get your boat inspected by uh, like one of the Colorado Parks and Wildlife offices. Uh, and then what they do is they put a seal on your boat that says this is where or this boat has been inspected and is either safe to relaunch or not safe. So, and that's 100% for the zebra and quagga mussels. Okay. Do they do that with all uh, like smaller boats, like fishing boats? Yep. They do it for okay. literally every boat that goes in and out of the water. Um, oh, wow. So even if they have you know no ballast tanks or anything crazy like that uh like i know the wakeboarding boats they take in water to make a better wake um mm. but the, the big problem with these zebra and quagga mussels is that they they do damage boats and infrastructures uh such as like pipes because they are so uh prolific they just reproduce and absolutely uh like if you look up some of these pictures, we could maybe post them on our Twitter, but they will just completely clog pipes. They will ruin motors for boats. Uh, it's just absolutely crazy. Yeah, economic damage um, to communities. Uh, what is the implication for ecosystems? Uh, it It's a tough one. Um, I'd say the main implication would be the invasive species risks uh, with those zebra quagga mussels. Um, it's putting. Are up... they? So, I guess. I guess I don't know as much as I thought I did. But uh, <laughs> are they? Are, do they like outcompete native species for like yeah, snail species they, or anything? They, from... Okay. Yeah, they do. So they they outcompete. They completely. Like I said, they don't really have predators here, so they just cover um, the motors, they cover the docks, they cover completely everything. Um, so that's the main problem with them. Um, I mean, also ballast water coming from those bigger ships especially, is it's just never just water. That's the other problem too. So like besides the invasive species, it's... I mean, those ballasts are full of, I'm sure, like oils and other chemicals that are used on the ship that's then just getting discharged into our our lakes and waters. So I think what the this article is really doing is just, like, we all know that this is a pollutant. Like, it's been a, a problem for a long time. Uh, I think they just would like to see the EPA step in and... Yeah, so I see here it says uh, under the the Clean Water Act, ballast water discharge standards are supposed to require the use of best available treatment technology. Um, but the EPA 
standards don't really call for that, right? Right. I mean, is the is the issue more with kind of the big commercial vessels? Is that what they're I think kind that's of focused where on? The, the main issue arises because, I mean, I, it's not like me or you is going across the ocean in our boat and then bringing yeah. something crazy back. Or we're not discharging hundreds of gallons of water. Um, right. Yeah, I mean, that is a potential to do with a lot of damage to... To pretty uh, sensitive ecosystems, right? So, and when you talk about like fisheries and things like that, especially in the Great Lakes, um, recreational fishing is a big pastime in the Great Lake region. So, I, I'm sure they don't want big commerce ships messing up. You know what is basically what they love to do exactly and i mean it just puts another stress on fishermen because their boats are getting covered in these mussels they're they're just making it harder for people to go out and do that pastime if they have their boat either at a marina on a dock or moored out it just it's like another cost to being able to go fishing so it's yeah and i think when we talk about recreational fishing things like that that's Things like that, as well as hunting, a lot of conservation money comes from those um, licenses and and um, you know tags and things like that. So I don't know how much, if any, conservation money comes from EPA, but uh, I would think you know it would be a good thing for the EPA to regulate that, so there isn't that kind of ecosystem damage done yeah me too um it's i don't know if we'll see too much with it because i feel like they're gonna say that these cargo ships are necessary you know and <laughs> yeah they're, they're i mean not it's not yeah harder for them or put that and i don't them, which is unfortunate yeah i think that's the issue is that there's kind of this unsaid thing where you can't make it more difficult for business to operate even if the way they're operating is a detriment to the public and to ecosystems right exactly it it seems like unfortunately our our, our name for our podcast is just too uh, <laughs> fitting it's really they're just willing to poison us for profit or poison the planet for profit yeah but that's about all i had on that one uh i unfortunately don't know if we will get an update on this one but uh, i'll definitely keep in, my eyes out because it is something yeah i'd like to is in. is there a certain um like environmental groups that are kind of putting that pressure on um i know a lot of the like native american tribes and some water agencies are but i don't know exact names from okay um, so yeah looks like 23 years ago there was environmental groups commercial fishermen water agencies and native american tribes that's a long time ago so i mean <laughs> i like you said 
Uh, unfortunately, maybe we don't get an update on this, but I am definitely in favor of keeping the pressure on EPA to actually do something. We'll see if that happens. Next story we've got is a radioactive waste found at a Missouri school. Um, this is in Florissant, Missouri, which is a suburb of St. Louis. Uh, it's radioactive, radioactive material was found there uh, about 22 times above the expected levels um, in classrooms for the Jana School, J-A-N-A. Um, Dana Elementary School. Uh, this is in the floodplain of Coldwater Creek, um, which is a uh, was a, um, I guess, a source of radioactive waste from uh, nuclear waste from World War II weapons production. The Malinkrod Chemical Company was a uranium processor in the area. Um, and apparently, you know, dumping radioactive material straight into the creek. Because where else would you dump it? I mean, Right, yeah. I mean, 1940s, you probably don't even think about it, right? Uh, it'll just go down the creek to the next people. No worries. <laughs> Not our problem. Yeah. Uh, so this, yeah, so there's a study done on behalf of a, uh, a law firm that was, that's uh, putting together an, a class action lawsuit for people living near the creek who are claiming that their proximity to the creek is causing, um, serious illnesses, cancer, uh, and death. But, um, it is a pretty, uh, racially diverse community, the elementary school that we're talking about has 400 students uh 80 of them are black so it's kind of more of the same that we hear about all the time with the pollution of certain communities mm. uh, i know lead contamination is historically in black communities um, a lot of that is because things are not done historically to, to mitigate uh, these issues, EPA actually did designate it, the creek, Cold Arter Creek, as a Superfund site in 1989. And then being in the floodplain of that creek, whenever it floods, that school is just recontaminated. All the area around the school is, is recontaminated. Uh, they said it was found in not only in classrooms um, and the library, but the HVAC system, the playground, and nearby fields. Yeah, it's 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 just pretty disheartening to hear. It's more of the same, you know. Uh, it's our youth. It's our uh, people of color having just being basically put on the back burner. Uh, like what you said, it was in 1989. It was a super super fun site, so they knew that there was issues. Yeah, these you know these kids are still in school. They're still going to school in this location and they know about it um 
they said remediation efforts for the Superfund uh, process would not be completed until 2038, which I thought was crazy. Um, it does seem that like it would a really take that long, long time, yeah. Especially when the the people at risk are children. Yeah, and there's there's community groups and community leaders trying to get answers for exactly, you know, well, first of all, proving that this is the cause of all these illnesses happening uh, and to what extent. Um, the Army Corps of Engineers conducted a contamination study four years ago and community groups just got those results uh, earlier this year only through a FOIA request. And even the school board wasn't informed about, um, you know, the findings of this Army Corps of Engineers study. I mean, it's just a total failure to protect the most vulnerable people, like young school children right. in in these areas. Yeah. Yeah. It just, yeah, it just makes you sick knowing yeah. that there's still people in school there. Um, yeah, I'm interested to, I guess, see if uh, they end up continuing to go to school there. I don't know. Right. I, I, I would be taking my kid out, I think. Yeah, and I mean, it's very reminiscent of the Love Canal, which I'm sure a lot of, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably are familiar with that story. I mean, it's just communities in these areas, um, in these high, you know, industrialized areas, um, kind of paying the price for corporations and chemical manufacturers not doing the right thing their responsibility and you know it's one thing to try to mitigate it and to try to get the responsible parties to pay for it but you can't take back the damage that's already been done yeah yeah exactly it's that's what it's so worrisome to me it's you just wonder the irreversible damage to a lot of these children i'm sure it's how old it is now people that are adults that are going through things that were caused by going to school there um being in those classrooms for eight hours a day and yeah i i'm really interested to see what comes of this i hope we do get an update on this one as well yeah i'm sure we will with the the class action lawsuit in progress um they're probably i think they're still in the discovery phase of it it sounds like but this is something we'll keep an eye on for sure. Going on to something a little bit uh, less heavy, I would say. Uh, in France, now all of the larger parking lots are being uh, required by law to be covered with solar panels. Uh, so what this means is any existing or new parking lot that can hold at least 80 vehicles has to be covered in solar panels. Um, and they're estimating that this alone is going to generate up to 11 gigawatts, which they say is the equivalent of 10 nuclear reactors. Um, so that seems crazy. <laughs> That's, <to me>. Yeah, <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I guess if you think about it, I'll, again, like we always have to refer to the United States because that's where we're at. If you take like 
a state like, I don't know, Massachusetts, for example, like Boston, if all of those car parks were covered in solar panels, it would be an, a huge amount of solar panels generating. Um, yeah, I'm sure it would be a, a big um, weight lifted off of the dependence on fossil fuels, I guess. But I mean... That's a ton. I, I would have never guessed 10 nuclear reactors were. I know. And I, I partly wonder if that is a little inflated. But, yeah, that's um, a little generous, yeah. But even, I feel any step that we're moving towards getting off the reliance of fossil fuels is a good one. Uh, I, I just really, I think that's such a important step for our society. Yeah, yeah, and uh, when does it have to be? Starting July 1st, 2023? Yep, yep. It has to be implemented by then? Uh, so they have like five years until they have to be in compliance. They always like to give, uh, I feel like five years is the minimum, or they're like, oh, you have ten years to do this. Yeah, like like three at least. But yeah. Right, so it's going to be a while um, until... A lot of them things change online. too, so I, you know, this is good. This is good news, yeah. but uh, I won't hold my breath for it. But, but yeah, like you said, getting off that reliance on fossil fuels, we need people in charge to actually start living up to the things that need to happen. Yeah, I, I do, I, I do have my. I feel pretty good with France. I don't know if you heard, but um, another thing that they had done in the past, I think it was a few years ago now, but they forbid their supermarkets from destroying unsold food products, and they were, like, told to donate it, basically. Um, so they, I feel like France is moving towards sustainability, um and waste you know, reduction yeah. waste reduction yeah exactly so I, I energy conservation yeah i feel like they have their their mind in the right spot so i feel like this could actually yeah hopefully that spreads that uh mentality right so yeah uh hopefully this one's a little bit more uplifting <laughs> uh of an article for you guys, but I I, I think it is. Yeah. I'm excited to see uh, what they do with it and if they expand it in any way or what they do next. Like I said, it seems like they're making strides towards uh, uh, you know putting the planet first. Next thing I want to talk about is uh, back to COP27 meetings going on in Egypt right now. Oh, you forgot something, Zach? They're the Coca-Cola COP meetings. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the, 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 the COP27 presented by Coca-Cola, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Thank you for reminding me. Um, no problem. Even though, you know, I don't like mentioning any companies that aren't paying us for ads. But anyways... I'm going to talk a little bit more about that on November 4th, which of this recording was, I guess that was 
few days ago. Uh, it was a few days ago, but uh, more than a hundred CEO climate leaders share an open letter for world leaders at COP27. Uh, can you guess where I'm going to go with this? I'm sorry, my dog was growling in the background. And I lost <laughs> go ahead, can you say that again? I'm sorry. More than 100 CEO climate leaders share an open letter for world leaders at COP27. Can you guess where I'm going to go with this, Nick? Oh. You know how much I love CEOs, right? Yeah, you do. You love CEOs. I'm going to say they're going to say that they're doing great already and they don't need any more regulations. Well, you're actually pretty close. Damn. Uh, I would like to share this sentence that they start that they had in their um, <laughs> in their <laughs> intro here. We recognize the positive progress to date. Emissions under current policies are projected to reach 58 billion tons of carbon dioxide in 2030, two billion tons lower than <laughs> what was in 2019, but still 25 billion higher than what is essential to limit warming to 1.5 <laughs> degrees Celsius. So you always got to recognize that positive progress. Uh, even if you are, you know, 12 times lower than what you should be. So, yeah, don't worry. We're just miss- higher than what you should be. Yeah. We're just missing, but we're doing it. We, we promise. Yeah. Classic. They're actually calling on uh, governments to to do more, but not really, if you could imagine that. Um, so in this letter, they're pleading for uh, setting science-based targets, collaboration between uh, sectors, and internationally harmonized reporting standards. There's nothing really concrete in this. It's all seemingly lip service, right? Um, Talk a lot about these climate pacts um, and following through. I don't know how you uh, really ensure that actions are followed through on when they're not enforceable right none of these you know paris agreement the glasgow climate pact none of these agreements that come out of this thing i can't i mean we talked about it last time i'm just gonna say it again it's non-enforceable you cannot find somebody for not um following through to this agreement you can't put anybody in prison for not following through i mean they're still they're they're trying to get to global net zero by 2050. You understand how far away that is? Like, I don't I don't know, man. It's just they're also calling for an accelerate. Um, or they're calling to accelerate transition uh, by driving down the green premium for low carbon technologies, um, scaling innovative sustainable finance mechanisms i like that um they just want to make it cheap for them right we'll do all this stuff as long as it doesn't cost too much as long as as long as we can get it subsidized um and retain our wealth basically yeah i feel like you just hit the nail on the head there it's they don't they're not doing this if it's not 
subsidized or it doesn't make financial sense. They're not, these companies aren't doing it. It's, it's just a, it's a horse and pony show. <laughs> They're not doing anything. I could go to the COP27 and say I'm going to recycle 12 billion water bottles this year and no one's going to bat an eye when I don't. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it it really is that. I mean, they're begging they're begging something to go down. I, I, like, they're not going out of their way to do it themselves, right? Right. They're saying, make everybody do it. But if we're all doing it, make sure it's worth it for us. Or pay us to financially. do it. Yeah. Yeah, financially, make it. That's what that was another thing. Incentivizing it. Um, Putting a price on carbon and phasing out fossil fuel subsidies. Um, I mean, and, and, that, and that just goes back to, yeah, we need to get off fossil fuels, uh, but it needs to happen faster than what would happen with like a market for it. Because we know these technologies, uh, if they're not subsidized, they're expensive, right? It's new technology. Um, but you have to force that best available technology if if you don't want to be too late in your actions exactly um yeah uh, it just i don't even know what to say it just seems yeah which which <laughs> brings me to uh another little nice little uh article this is from well it's not from but this is about the bezos earth fund head um his name is andrew steer and he says that billionaires should not make up climate finance gaps uh he also says that governments are not living up to their responsibilities um so you know what I do agree with them that billionaires shouldn't make up the finance gaps, um, mostly because I think that would be finance that they would be giving should just be forcibly taken from them, to be honest with you, uh, and spent by the government. Um, I mean, the, the whole issue is that there's this extreme wealth, right? And they, And when you say they should not make up the climate finance gaps you're talking about philanthropy um and most philanthropy goes to goes to like religious organizations or or like organizations that already have a lot of money right like harvard university or like big rich research universities um you can spend that money a lot more easily then you know the government can because it has to go through all the committees and everything to to get where it's supposed to go but it's not really going anywhere that's doing anything right like they're not most of the money spent by i'm sure spent by the bezos earth fund isn't going to like renewable energy in africa or or anything like that you know what i mean right yeah it you hear it time and time again so that you know oh this charity is not putting like you know their their main ceo or i don't know what it is for a charity i can't remember but that they're taking 
eighty percent of like all. The yeah, donations. it's like administration. Yeah, yeah, like, it's just like that's not what a philanthropy should be. I mean, about. yeah, I mean, uh, I think charities have a reputation for just being money laundering schemes a lot of the time. Yeah, um, and you know, the more money that's going into a charity, the more money or like the bigger total total number of dollars is just kind of going back into people's pockets the the administrative pockets the, the founders pockets things like that right um it does seem like world governments are pretty okay with this system as it is though the UN green climate fund is looking for donations from these ultra wealthy um, individuals and companies. Um, nobody really ever talks about like fair taxation anymore, right? I mean, I guess some groups do, but it's like, and first of all, I don't know that I would trust these current governments to do the right thing if, if uh, we had true fair taxation, but. All you ever seem to hear about is like tax cuts, right? And making even for middle class people, right? And, and I, I agree that most of the tax income should come from the wealthiest people. Um, but like the focus is so much on paying less in taxes for everybody. Yeah, and I feel like like what you said with like the taxes. I feel like so often taxes are just used for who knows what oh it's often to some crazy thing that none of us actually want our tax money to go to but oh it yeah happened. Like, <laughs> like military intervention and in, right. in impoverished countries yeah it's like yeah it just seems like i i am all for more taxes if they actually make a difference make a change help people you know make help me you know help make everyone's lives better in the country that is yeah, fine I mean, by me but that's not what happens it, um, yeah and that's the issue that's that's why people don't like taxes right because they don't see the benefits mm -hmm. uh, there's no trust that the government is going to spend tax money wisely so in a way i understand that and i kind of agree with this guy's point but but it's, it's all kind of a, a misleading thing, right? He's saying governments need to be more responsible with their, their way they, they invest in, in climate finance. Um, but he's also saying don't take any more from the people who have the most. And I just disagree with that fundamentally. Yeah. I, I really do think it should be whatever it is. I feel like everyone should be taxed based on what they're, you know, like, all. I don't know. It should just all I mean, be fair. <laughs> I think it should be progressive for sure. Right. Um, I think richer people should be taxed at a higher rate just because they'll still end up with more money. Uh, right. And then there's, yeah, but that's kind of going down a different avenue i just, it's just it's frustrating to to read these things and see blame being put 
in certain places while half of the story is kind of ignored. Yeah, it just seems so typical to me. I mean, the the blame always gets shifted this way, then that way, and then no one knows what's actually going on, and it just gets forgotten about. Or it's hard to keep up with it, and it's just too bad. Yeah, I mean, this shit just drives me fucking crazy. Um, <laughs> going back to the the letter letter from the CEOs, it's like, I can't imagine being a CEO and signing something like this, knowing that it's not going to mean anything, right? I don't know. I just feel, <laughs> I, I mean, like, just being in that group and knowing, you have to know, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You have to know, like, how much, how bullshit this is, even if you, like, think you're doing the right thing. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's like what we talk about, I feel like in a few of the articles we talked about last week, it's, they, they call it greenwashing. Yeah, they're, they're making their company look good, and they don't yeah. care what they say or what they sign. They've got this press release now, exactly, right. yeah. So they're just, oh, look at this company they pledged to do this and then when it comes down to it they maybe did like a trash cleanup on the side of the road or something and that's all they did for their pledge yeah yeah i don't know i'll be interested to see what comes out of uh this cop and uh (laughs) i'm sure oh i'm sure we'll talk more about yeah we'll have some more articles coming out of who knows Freaking like Monsanto's probably gonna be the next they're gonna be the next corporate sponsor. <laughs> yeah. Syngento Syngenta CEO is on that <laughs> letter. Perfect. Yeah. There were there was only one energy company though. I found that interesting. And I think it was renewable energy company. Alright, so we're just going to get right into our final topic of the day. Uh, This one is, I don't know if it's going to be out yet or not, but it's on PFAS. Uh, They just recently identified another um, source, basically, of PFAS, and this is in pesticides. Uh, So they're finding that pesticides uh, are... A new source for PFAS. The plastic containers that they're in are leaching PFAS uh, and PFOS as well into those pesticides that are being sprayed. Um, so this was actually found by a toxicologist named Stephen Lassie. Uh, he was doing a, uh, a study back in 2017 on uh, how plants t- take up PFAS. Uh, but he found in his first experiment that the plants already had the, the PFAS in them, in his control. So that really de- derailed his whole experiment. Uh, so he had just began testing a whole bunch of uh, other chemicals and things in this greenhouse and environment. And he homed in on 10 different insecticides that were used and stored on site Uh, so then he found out that uh, 
PFOS were in six out of the ten chemicals, and they were ranging from four million to nineteen million parts per trillion in some of these tests. For the What's the uh, the PFOS is like seventy parts per trillion is the is what they say is like the health advisory is that what it is i think so uh it's actually funny you say that they the epa updated their lifetime health advisory for pfos in drinking water to just 0.02 parts per trillion oh boy <laughs> so uh i'm not uh... A genius or anything but 4 million to 19 million parts per trillion is a little bit higher than 0. 0.02 <laughs> yeah jesus so um so yeah it's just a lot of these are insecticides that he had found them in um one is one that i think a lot of us have heard about is neo nick Neo nicotinoids. Yeah. yeah. That that one's been uh thank you for the help. Uh in the uh news quite a bit as well for Bad for bees. Yeah. And then so but they're still using it as like a seed coating on uh-huh. uh the crops nowadays. Um So yeah, uh just again, it's in this ever developing uh, story yeah. that is PFAS. Uh, yeah, and we so we will have the PFAS episode released at some point. Um, but this is, I mean, yeah, pesticides and PFAS in the same mixture, right? So right. <laughs> they're just working overtime. Yeah, and. So not only in the pesticides, but they're also finding PFAS in the what they call inert ingredients. So that's it's inactive. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't, like uh, like sulfactants, right? So uh, Sur- surfactants, I should yep, say. Exactly. So what those do is they help the pesticide stick onto the target. So like <clears throat> a plant or something like that. And so one of the dispersal agents is actually. Uh, PFOS <laughs> so um, that that's what they're like using to help <laughs> stick their pesticides onto the plants so they're getting Yikes. it through the inert ingredients they're getting it through the pesticides and uh, as we know pesticide use is just being <laughs> upped every single year yeah especially Neonicotinoids seem to be. I mean, it's, they're in the news, but they seem to be the most recent kind of innovation in pesticides. Would you say? Yeah, I would. I would say so. Um, but I mean, this is just kind of really fucked, right? I mean, we yeah. <laughs> we know, and we will talk about pesticides more, also. Um, but both of these things have the potential to or are linked to causing some serious disease yeah and the other big problem with them it, it 
is that they are the forever chemicals, as they call them. They're not going away. So every time that this is being exposed to me, exposed to the environment, exposed to, you know, our food, our everything, it's all adding up. It's just going to be bioaccumulating. Um, yeah. So you said this is uh, leaching through the plastic bottles that pesticide comes in? That's one of the ways. The other one way the is... The is oh, you get through the surfactant. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Um, it's also in this article, though, they do talk about how Maine is the first state that's trying to restrict PFAS. Um, but they're having troubles with how do you identify them? Uh, as we talked before, there's over 9,000 and they're finding more and more every day. And then just like this, uh, there's it seems to be an endless supply of different sources of PFAS. So they're having a lot of trouble regulating them just because they are so prolific. Yeah, I watched the movie Dark Horse waters have you seen that you told me to i think watch we talked it. I about haven't it. Watched it yet though i'm gonna put it on no right now. it was really good and it kind of explained a little bit um at least what pfoa is uh which okay. is one of the main pfos that dupont produced um i think in the 60s or it's been produced for a long time teflon that we know that but but yeah i mean I guess just identifying those and regulating emerging sources, like you said, is going to be a, a difficulty that I think a lot of governments are going to see. Yeah, and uh, I mean, it's it's unfortunate I don't that we don't see more states stepping up as well because of the implication that I've said already but it's they're forever chemicals i mean they're not going away we need to really get a hold on them especially with uh whenever we release the the full full uh podcast just on pfos uh they they do cause a lot of terrible health effects uh that they're finding uh cancers and all yeah. sorts of things uh so it just would it'd just be <laughs> good if we got a handle on it sooner rather than later. We didn't mean to leave everybody on a bummer story, <laughs> but it is important. I mean, that's that's a pretty important finding, I think. Understanding combination of pesticides and PFAS being put on crops. But that was our last story. Thank you to everybody who listened. Let us know if you have any questions in the comments or on Twitter. Um, yeah, follow us on Twitter, please, at Poisoned, the number four, Profit. We're still figuring out a lot as we go, but uh, we hope you enjoy. We will get better. Yeah, yeah we will get better. Uh, our, should we, we'll probably make a post on our Twitter with all the articles we used uh, in this episode. Yeah, or, so you can or we can put them in the show notes. That works, yeah. too. We'll, we'll put them in the show notes, uh, and we'll start doing that for every episode if we haven't already. Thank you for tuning in, and hope you tune in next week. We'll have we'll be sure to have another uh, half hour to 45 minutes of interesting <laughs> in, in, <laughs> environmental news for you.
Yeah, send us anything you want to hear about also. Yeah, with that, thank you for listening.